Psalm 139. Let's, let's read the first uh, six verses. For the chief musician, the Psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. We're going to take this a section at a time. So we'll talk about the first six verses and then we'll move on to the next. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. That last me is in italics in the New King James. Uh, it's not there. They added it to clarify things. But, oh Lord, you have searched me and known. I think that's pretty cool right there. You have known my rising up and my sitting down. Well, how did he searched to penetrate? He's examined. That's what that word search means. There is nothing that God does not know. But how in the world does he know all this? There's nothing he doesn't know. You have searched me. There's nothing about David that God doesn't know. And by extension then, you'd have to say that there's nothing about me you that he doesn't know. All of us individually in here. He knows every action. He knows my sitting down, my rising up, my path, my lying down, my actions and resting, all my ways. And what is going to be said before it is said, before it's uttered. He knows all of that. He's omniscient and omnipresent, omnipotent as well. I just didn't put that up here. He has all the power. But he, is, he has all knowledge. He has, he's, he's present everywhere. I don't, I understand what the, the, the concept is, but the, the, such a being we cannot fully understand. Everybody that know that, that <coughs> believes in God would acknowledge that these are truth. That He is everywhere and He's all powerful and He's uh, all knowing. They know that, but it's not believed by men. We, the, you can tell by the way people live that while they know this, they don't practice what they should. And that's why we, I try to remind us at the end of the year or the beginning of the year whenever my turn comes. God knows completely and thoroughly everything about David. Nothing's escaped him. Nothing will escape him. God knows it all in me. So with that kind of information, 
And knowing that God does possess that information, should that be upsetting or comforting to us? If you're living uh, a scandalous life or just uh, just doing your thing, whatever that thing might be, anytime, would that be upsetting to think that God completely knows, thoroughly knows me? Or if you're living the life like David, not perfect, but wants to do all his will. Or living a life like Paul, whom we talked about earlier this morning in 2 Corinthians. Would it be comforting to know that God knows all about me? He knows my heart. God takes notice of every step we take, every right step, the things we do right, every misstep, every sin. Nothing has escaped him. He knows it all. Nothing will escape him. God knows how we walk. He knows what we walk toward. He knows what my intention is. Whatever it might be. He knows if I'm intending to do wrong or someone is intending to do wrong they think okay I'll think of something else and I'll go ahead and do this and maybe the Lord won't know you can't you can't fool him you can't fool God he knows who we walk what we walk toward what our aim is what our objective is at whatever moment at any moment at every moment and who we walk with who are my companions who are my soulmates, trusted buddies, my pals in this life. He knows them as well. Not going to escape him. God knows what I say, whether it's vain words, good words, and the mind that utters those words. Where those words are profane, or whether they are uplifting. Whatever it might be, whatever you say, God knows when the idea is forming up here and you don't even know exactly how you're going to say it. He knows what you're going to say. We will not escape any of his scrutiny of us. Nothing we do will go unnoticed by him. In verse 6, we, not, we cannot find out how God knows and how God searches us out. We don't know how we are known. I mean, we know he has all the information, but I don't quite understand all that. We'll get to some more of that in a few minutes. But such knowledge, it says, is too wonderful for me. Uh, it's just too hard for me to grasp that he would know everything about everybody at every second in this room much less the other pleased people let's read verses 7 through 12 
Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, every, uh, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, O Lord. That everything about God cannot be hidden. Where can I go from his spirit? Where in the world can I flee from him? Uh, no, uh, uh, Jonah tried that. He, he, he went the opposite direction of where he's supposed to go, but he couldn't get away from the God. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. That's his abode. If I go to Sheol, the place of the dead, you're there. The deepest, farthest parts of the sea, God's there. The, I, I like what he says about the darkness. Let me read that again. Let's start in verse 10. Even there your hands... Uh, Talk, talking about the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. We're going to do something so that the Lord won't see us and we're going to do it at night. Well, no. It, the night shines like a light, just like the day does to the Lord. You, there's nothing that we can do that will escape him. In 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well and that my soul knows very well my frame was not hidden from you when i was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the uh, lower, lowest parts of the earth for your eyes or your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they all were written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them The beginning of life. You form my inward parts. It's there. Life is there. You wove me in my mother's womb. My bones were not hidden from you. Nothing. You saw my substance yet unformed. From the moment that life begins, God is in completely involved. He knows everything. He says, I will praise you in verse 5. I will praise you. Uh, marvelous are your works. 
not verse 5. Marvelous are your works. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That This part, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, uh, I am fearfully, fearfully and wonderfully made, could be read. Uh, there's some decision to be made on the translation. They're not exactly sure. Or it could be you are fearfully wonderful. And marvelous are your works. Um, but those things that we cannot understand that he he can do and he is able to do because of who he is. Choices. I was, I went to a gospel meeting uh, not far away, uh, about a month ago, I guess, I don't know, and the speaker said that people make about 30,000 choices a day. 30,000 choices a day. There are 8 billion people in round numbers on this earth. That's a lot of zeros. 8 billion. And if each of those 8 billion people make 30,000 choices a day, now it might be whether to get up out of bed or whether not to. Whether to put your shoes on or wear flip-flops. Whether, you know, it's just, just decisions that you make every day. There's 30,000 of them. What you're going to eat for breakfast or lunch or dinner. See, there's some decisions, right? How many courses? All this kind of stuff. Am I going to sin? Am I going to do this sin? Part of those 30,000 choices that all of us make every day. It's all part of the process. So there are 240 trillion choices every day. I understand the concept of the number. I just don't know how many choices. I just, I don't get that. I don't get that. Eight billion people, and God knows every choice that every one of us make every day of every month of every year of our life. None of them are hidden from him. That's a lot of thought. That's a lot of brain power, we might say. And God has that. And it's... It, <clears throat> and for everybody that's ever lived on top of just these people here, that is amazing more than that. I don't know how to describe it. But that's our God. He is the one. In Psalm 139, verse 5, which we read a few minutes ago, I got ahead of myself, you have hedged me behind and before you and laid your hand upon me. You've hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. It's often used of a siege, this hedging about. Lay of a siege, hemmed in, confined, enclosed. You, if any, if a city is sieged, you can't get out until you surrender or you're taken over. This is what God has done for Paul or, or for uh, David. The Lord is the one in whom the psalmist has found protection. He hedges his own 
for the purpose of protection before and behind. He, that's what he does for his saints. For all those that know him, there is a protection. It may not be a physical protection like uh, it was for protecting David from Saul who was chastening or protecting David from Goliath or protecting David from the lion and the bear. It may not be that kind of protection. But he can protect my soul if I will obey him and give myself to him. That eternally that soul will be in heaven if I decide I will do his will. With all that being said, please turn to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4. Now, we're going to change paces just a little bit. But Israel has come out of Egypt. And they have wandered in the wilderness because of their stubbornness. They've wandered for 38 additional years after they got the law and made it to Kadesh Barnea. And so it's been a hard life for them. And now Moses can't go with them into the promised land, and they're they're on the verge of going in and possessing this land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses can't go. And so Deuteronomy is him telling the people, reminding them of, well, why he's not going in, and why... All these men have died in the wilderness and, in other words, what happened in the wilderness. And then encouraging them to follow the Lord. That's what the books, that's what Deuteronomy is about. So we're going to take one little portion of Deuteronomy, one part of one chapter, and um, just look at some things. All right, let's start in verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God, the Lord God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. You observe the statutes and the judgments I teach you. You observe what God gave to Moses, and he's now retelling some of that those 38 years ago, 40 years ago. You observe does not mean just to see them and read them, but it means to do them. And so that's what he's telling them that they have to do. Don't add to the word. Don't take from the word. Have you seen that in the New Testament? You have. Didn't change, did it? Don't add to what God said. Don't take away from what God said. Under the law of Moses or under the law that Christ established? Do what he says. As evidence of that, he says, God destroyed all the men who followed Baal of Peor. They 
it's not in here, but they played the harlots with the women of Moab and they bowed down and served their gods. And so every one of them died because they didn't do what the Lord said do. Every one of them, not some of them, every one of them died. Those who held fast to the Lord your God, those who held fast are alive today, every one of you. You know that protection, that hedge we talked about that he, he gives us if we do his will? Those that did it, every one of them are alive. And it's been ever how long it's been at that point. In verses 5 through 12, just a second. Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 12. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to, which you go to possess. Therefore be, a, be careful to observe them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is for whatever reason we may call upon him. And what nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all in this uh, in all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourselves and diligently keep them, keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire in the, in, uh, to the midst of heaven, with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. He says, you remember that law. Remember it. You should do according to all of them, all the statutes of the ju and the judgments when you enter the land. Act according to the, in other words, obey what God has told you to do. Interesting statement coming up. To, to act according to those statutes and the judgment, to obey the law, will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples. That the people of other nations will see you and the prosperity that you have in this, in this land and they will marvel because of your wisdom and understanding and obeying him. And they will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Because the, you do what God says and God prospers you and you keep doing what God says and God prospers you. And they'll say, wow. 
What an under, what a wise and understanding people. What great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him? Those other nations didn't have a God so near to them. I remember when the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. You remember the story. And all of a sudden they have this Ark and they don't really know what to do with it. So they put it in the temple of Dagon, uh, their God. And they come back the next day and the, temp, the the idol of Dagon, ever how big it is, is laying on its face and, and the, the ark is, is sitting up like it always was. So they stand the idol back up, come back the next day and the idol is broken. So they moved it to other, the other cities and they, there's all kind of havoc that was raised because they had the Ark of the Covenant. I just, I think of that. What great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord is to us? For whatever reason, we may call upon Him. We can call upon Him for whatever reason. Nothing's too big for Him. We need help. He's our helper. You diligently... Keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. Keep yourself strengthened to do his will. Diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things you have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Teach them to your children and grandchildren. You will keep remembering yourself if you teach them to your children and grandchildren. What happened after they had taken the land and after a while? They, Joshua died. They didn't know God. Serious problem. And it cost them. I used this picture a few weeks ago. Israel some distance from Mount Sinai and the, 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 the fire and the darkness and the thick darkness and the rumbling in the ground, the earthquake. And when they stood at the mountain, they couldn't touch it. And that mountain burned with fire and darkness and cloud and thick darkness. And the, the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. And none of these other countries ever had a God that spoke to them. There weren't gods to begin with, but they were idols. You heard the sound of his words, but you saw no form. You only heard a voice. They were worshiping, others were worshiping idols, something man's imagination. But they weren't to have those idols. Let's read 15 through 19. It 
Take care, take careful heed to yourselves. You saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under their uh, whole heaven as a heritage. Take careful heed to yourself. That's kind of like keep yourself. Diligently keep yourself. Take heed to yourself. You saw no form of the Lord spoke to you. You only heard a voice. Lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure. I, you know what? I, I must say, there was two or three times I put an image, a drawing of a man on the cross, and you know you could see some features on it, and, I, and that was to to give the significance of Jesus dying on the cross. And the last time I did that, I, as soon as the 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 slide came up, I thought, there's the image. Not supposed to have an image of God. I know a carved image specifically stated, but I have never since then put up a, a likeness of Jesus on the cross or standing and talking. I just, something about it, I just won't do it anymore. I'll never do that again. Because we don't know exactly what he looked like. And we certainly don't know what God looks like either. But there's a problem when you're going to make an image. You're going to make an image of the likeness of a male or female. How, how big is that image got to be for it to be adequately represent God? How grand, what finish will you put on it? Gold? Uh, did Nebuchadnezzar make a gold idol image or one of his sons? What's it going to look like? How is it going to represent God? What adequately does that? Or the likeness of any animal or winged animal or anything that creeps on the ground or the likeness of any fish. Which one of those best describes visually God? They only heard a voice. They didn't see an image. Or you see the sun, the moon, and all the stars, all the hosts of heaven, and feel driven to worship them and serve them. How's that going to work out? I'd have to admit, if there was some physical thing I was going to worship and claim it's God, it might be something up there that's not attached to this orb right here. But God says, I gave them to everybody. Don't worship them. They're just objects put in motion by the real God. So what are we going to do? He's reminding them, don't put anybody, anything 
in the place of God because it doesn't work. It's inadequate. And so they can get distracted by all of these things, male or female, or this image of an animal or a fish or a serpent or whatever, a bird. And, and I've seen photos of some of those images in Egypt. Or the sun, the moon, and the stars, and there were those who worshipped those. Don't be distracted. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35, And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. I understand he's talking about uh, uh, virgins marrying uh, in the Lord. But but the concept is there is, is don't attempt to worship the Lord and be distracted in doing it. That there's nothing that can take his place. He is the God that created all of us. And he deserves our loyalty. He demands our loyalty. So I think we should give it to him. That's all I have to say. I appreciate your time. We're just on time. If you would like to make yourself right with Christ by being baptized, have your sins washed away, or uh, you have done that in the past and you need the prayers of saints, why don't you come? While we stand and while we sing, number 338.